Well, if you have your Bible with you, I want to invite you to turn with me this morning to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, and beginning at verse 18. As this morning we think together about the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 1. Verse 18 to 25. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 25. Let's pray together, and then we'll read our text. Let's pray. Our gracious God and our Father, we thank you for your mercies and that they are new every morning. We thank you for the forgiveness of our sins in Jesus Christ. And now pray, Lord, that we might focus our attention on this wondrous miracle. And ask, Lord, that the Spirit would press it home to help us grow in grace, to grow in love, in self-denial, and in joy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bear a son And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Amen. This morning, I want us to consider the virgin birth the miracle of the Holy Spirit conceiving in the womb of the Virgin Mary, a child, in three parts. Number one, from verse 18 and 19, I want us to think about the virgin birth as it was encountered, particularly first by Joseph, but yet as also many times encountered by our neighbors. Verses 18 and 19, the virgin birth encountered. Secondly, in verse 20 to 23, The virgin birth proclaimed how the angel of the Lord brings a special announcement to Joseph and to us. The virgin birth proclaimed. And then after the virgin birth encountered 
and proclaimed. Thirdly, verse 24 and 25, the virgin birth believed. The virgin birth believed. Look at verse 18 with me now. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Now notice that after the genealogy of Matthew, we jump right into the narrative. and We're dividing this into three narrative sections, three different scenes. This first one you'll notice here is the encounter that Jesus has, or excuse me, Joseph has of this news that Mary, his wife, is now pregnant. Now you have to understand that culturally speaking, to be betrothed in that day was a little different than our day. The vows and the consummation of the marriage often were separated in time. That the engagement really was more like a marriage than our modern day sense of engagement. The actual vows would have already been taken between Joseph and Mary. And in the midst of that, we find that Joseph discovers to his own shock that his wife, whom he has not had consummated relations with yet, is pregnant. And of course, we can understand the devastation that must have flooded him when he was told of this, and we assume by Mary. The woman that he loved, the woman that he was sure was a godly woman, is now found to be with child, but not by him. And so what do we find? Joseph, notice being called a husband here, not just a fiancé, but a husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace Mary, planned to send her away secretly. Jesus Christ was conceived by the Holy Spirit, boys and girls. That means that the third person of the Trinity performed a miracle within the womb of Mary. Now, this does not mean that that's the moment that Christ came into existence. We need to remember that. Christ is the eternal Son of God. He is the eternally begotten of the Father. He existed with the Father and the Spirit in eternity past, forever. But in the incarnation, the Son of God took on our human likeness, our human flesh. And when I say likeness, I mean he was truly man. I don't mean that he just looked like a man. Sometimes angels can appear as men, but they are not really men. And there are old ancient heresies that occurred in the first couple centuries of the church that even tried to claim that Jesus was like that, that Jesus had a human appearance but wasn't really a man. Um, and and this, uh, this sin is known as deceticism that denied the humanity of Jesus. Now, I would suggest that that tends not to be the problem facing the church today. I think rather it is the denial of the deity of Jesus Christ that often is in view in our own day. But Christ, the second person of the Trinity, always coexisted with the Father 
and the Spirit. But there came a moment where Jesus Christ assumed our humanity. He truly was a man. He truly was conceived uh, in the womb of the Virgin Mary. He truly was an embryo, the Son of God, with all the power of God, with all of the attributes and uh, of God within his own person, each person being fully God. Yet, he added to that without diminishing his full deity in any way, became an embryo linked into the line of the uterus of Mary. In John chapter 1, the Apostle John says it this way, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. The son was with God, and the word was God, and yet the word miraculously became flesh. Now we have to understand that when Joseph heard this news, he was met with the miraculous. And we need to appreciate this miraculous event is encountered first by Joseph after Mary. But before the act of redemption can be fully understood, it had to be revealed by the Spirit of God. And I think this is what is confronting the church in our age today, as it has been for the past 150 years or more. And that is this, that the the Spirit is the one, after God does a work of redemption, who explains it to us. And it therefore has to be received by faith. And without the Spirit's help, uh, it is difficult, nay, even impossible, to believe the things that God has revealed. Who has the mind that can comprehend the work of God? The angels themselves, we are told, long to look into these mysteries. And yet, it is only by the Spirit's illuminating power that these things of which we are speaking can be appreciated, understood, and apprehended by the believer. Without the work of the Spirit, these things are incomprehensible. And so they reject them outright often. And they say that it cannot be. It is illogical. It is irrational, they say, rather than understanding that it is supra-rational. It is perfectly rational in the mind of God. And the infinite, when he reveals grace and truth to us, we who are finite will never be able to fully comprehend that revelation. There will always be this penumbra of mystery about the things that God has done. And so it is incumbent upon us to believe that which is announced. And that's what I think makes this encounter for Joseph all the more remarkable, is that we read that Joseph took her as his wife. Why? Well, because as according to the Apostle Paul in the book of Corinthians, the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they are what? Foolishness to him. He cannot understand 
And I would say that that is true, of course, of the virgin birth. These things appear as foolishness to many of our neighbors because without the help and the aid of the Holy Spirit illuminating our understanding and our mind, these truths are lost on men because they must be spiritually appraised, says the Apostle Paul. It is only when you have the mind of Christ that is born of the Spirit of God are you able to apprehend the truths of God. They appear as foolishness to the Greek. And yet, this is what the gospel teaches us. The Bible says here that the Son of God has become a man. And that we are to believe on him whom God has sent. This is eternal life. This is the work of God. To believe on him whom Jesus Christ, excuse me, whom God has sent in Jesus Christ. So we have to understand for those who may be struggling, maybe you are struggling with this very doctrine. Maybe you find it a bit much. Maybe you wonder, is it mere mythology? like the myths of the Greek gods or the Roman gods. Here's where we have to differ. These things, though mysterious, are nevertheless the truth. Jesus Christ has said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that no man cometh to the Father but by me. Jesus says, I and the Father are one. He who believes in the Son believes also in the Father. Jesus Christ does have two distinct natures. He is truly a man. He is a sympathetic high priest, the book of Hebrews says. He is a man who has been tempted at every point like you and me, and yet without sin. And therefore, he is a sympathetic high priest to you and me. But he is also fully God. He is truly God, even as the Father and the Spirit are fully God. This is what the Bible teaches, that Jesus Christ, being conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary, is one person, yet with two distinct natures. Neither nature infringes upon the other nature. The natures are not mixed. The natures are not compounded. The natures are not to be separated in the person of Christ. The natures are not to be confused. The deity of Christ is not diminished. Jesus' humanity is not enlarged to the point where he becomes a demigod. He is truly a man, and yet he is also fully God. Notice here in verse 19, or excuse me, the end of verse 18, before they came together, before the marriage was consummated, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. This is a work of God. The virgin birth, the immaculate conception of Christ is the work of the Spirit. God has done this work, and who can comprehend it? But notice in verse 19, And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. There was this temptation for Joseph to want to... Mary away. You can understand that this seemed uh, almost impossible, what he was being confronted with. 
But notice here, we move to the second point. After the virgin birth is encountered, secondly, the virgin birth is proclaimed. An angel of the Lord brings new revelation to Joseph and to us. Notice verse 20. But when he had considered this, that is, he was thinking of quietly divorcing his wife on the grounds of adultery. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Now notice that the angel of the Lord here brings a revelation. That is, there is, there is a new scripture being brought to Joseph and to us to inform him of this unusual providence. Notice that the angel says that that which, is, that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. That is the redemptive act of God in the conception of Christ in his humanity is followed by the redemptive explanation. And we find this many times in the Bible. God does something and then God explains the significance of it. You see it in creation. You see it in the times when God delivers his people from uh, Egypt. You see it um, many times after God has done a great work. Then he explains it to the people, or he commands the people to sing of a new song about it. And so that the, the, the redemptive act would be understood and, and, and also explained to the generations to come. And so Joseph is being told here by the angel of the Lord, this certain truth. What is the purpose of this revelation? Number one, it is to inform Joseph that the child did not come by way of ordinary human propagation. Mary has not been unfaithful. Mary has not been unrighteous. She has not strayed. And indeed, she is still truly a virgin. The child has been conceived by the Spirit of God. But notice here, there is something to be added to this. And that is that this child will have a special redemptive purpose in history. Notice that they say, his name shall be called Jesus. You see that in verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So boys and girls, understand that the Spirit of God brings forth the Lord Jesus Christ in his humanity, miraculously by the power of God, which God, nothing is impossible for God to do. Why should it be inconceivable? If God can produce life miraculously like that, we should have no trouble believing in the other miracles of Jesus Christ or even of the resurrection. But notice here that what was the purpose of the incarnation? The purpose of the incarnation of Lord Jesus Christ was to save us from our sins. In a day, uh, for, which has been going on really for the last century and a half, you have had a variety of answers to who Jesus is. Some want to say he's a good teacher, boys and girls. Some say he's a philosopher. Some want to argue that he is a political revolutionary figure. But the Bible says that no, he is the one chosen by God to save us from our sins. While he is uh, somebody who is a good teacher, and while he is 
revolutionary in some senses, uh, but he is far more than that. He is far more than a philosopher, a peripatetic philosopher. He is the Son of God who has come to save. Jesus, his name, which they were told, you shall name him Jesus, means Jehovah saves. This, this means that he is named by God and that the name God gives him is significant for the calling that he will have ultimately. You have to understand that the reason Christ must be conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit in the, in the womb of the Virgin Mary and be both God and man is so that he could save us from our sins. Many of you know Pastor Bill Hurd. Uh, he preaches here sometimes on Sunday nights. And Pastor Hurd and his wife, they have some property uh, that's heavily wooded. And in the midst of those woods is an old abandoned well that he discovered where the wall of that well was completely crumbled and gone. And he happened to be walking through the woods and he sees this giant hole and picked up a, a pebble or something and, and threw it. And he said that it was far deeper than he ever suspected. Now, if you and I had been walking through those woods and hadn't seen that old abandoned well and fell into it, you and I would not be able to help ourselves out of that well. It's far too deep. Even if I stood on your shoulders or you stood on mine, there's no way you and I are coming out of that well without what? External help. You see, if Jesus was born by way of ordinary propagation, he could not save us because he would be in the same condition as the rest of fallen humanity in Adam. But because he is the second Adam, because he is the last Adam, because he was conceived by the Spirit of God in the womb of the Virgin Mary, because he took to himself our humanity yet without sin, he is able to come into this world, into this fallen world, into this well in which we live, and rescue us out of it. Had he been a sinner, he could never have done so. And thus it was absolutely necessary that the Savior of the world be one who is also fully God and yet truly human. The Bible says he is the one who will save his people from their sins. The true significance of the birth of Jesus Christ is realized in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, if you're like me, you can get sentimental about Christmas like anybody. And you can think warm and nice fuzzy thoughts about the manger scene, right? You got the wise men, you got the barnyard animals, you got Joseph and Mary there, you've, you've got the shepherds who were out in the field. And, but realize, what was the point of all that? The point of the manger is Golgotha. The point of Christ coming into this world in Bethlehem is so he could be crucified outside the walls of Jerusalem. We didn't read this passage, but do you remember how the angel of the Lord appeared to Mary when he told her that she would conceive of this child by the power of God? And there's this little strange line 
that we often, I think, skip over, forget about in our sentimentality. And, it, and the angel of the Lord says that a sword will pierce your soul. And what is that sword that pierces the soul of Mary in this joyful announcement? I think it's that the fact that this one that she will bear to redeem their people from their sins will do so at the expense of his undergoing the judgment and curse of God on the cross. One day, this virgin teenager carrying the Son of God will be standing at the foot of the cross with the Apostle John, beholding this one who is dying for her sins and the sins of all his people. And Jesus will look at her and look at John and say to John, behold your mother, and say to his mother, behold your son. In those last hours, and Mary's soul indeed was no doubt pierced by the agonies that Jesus was undergoing on that cross. Who can imagine watching your own son undergo the pangs of death like that on the cross You see, we don't understand, if I can use this language with you, we don't understand Christmas if we don't understand Easter, if we don't understand Good Friday. Christmas really has no meaning than a a cultural holiday if we don't understand the significance of Jesus and who he is and what he's really come to do and why it's necessary that he be both God and man. For he is not a mere good teacher or philosopher, but he is the Son of God come in the flesh to live a perfect life that you and I did not live and to die a perfect death in the place of us so that our sins could be atoned for. He is the eternal Son of God who has humiliated himself in the womb of the virgin in order to deliver us from our sins. This is why you're Shorter and larger catechisms, when they speak of the humiliation of Christ, always begin with the incarnation. The first act of Jesus' humiliation was taking on our humanity. That was just the first step to the climax of that humiliation in the cross and being buried. Christ humiliated himself. The Son of God humiliated himself for you and me by becoming an embryo in the uterine lining of his teenage mother. Now notice here that as Joseph is told the purpose of the incarnation and he is told the name that he will name this child and for which purpose this child will come into this world. Notice here that this too is not to be understood as something new in the sense that it had not been foretold in the Old Testament. That is, the angel of the Lord is also making it known to Joseph. Joseph, know your Bible. Your Bible told you about this event. You should only be surprised that it includes you individually. You're not supposed to be surprised in one sense. Because this is what God had long ago foretold. And he quotes from Isaiah. Now, boys and girls, you have to understand, Isaiah lived 700 years before 
these events. That's a long time ago. I'd have to do some math to know what year it is <laughs> from our vantage point. But Isaiah spoke of these things, and, and you see them quoted here in verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Now you say, well, pastor, I thought they were supposed to call him Jesus. Now they're saying his name's Emmanuel. Well, you have to understand that the prophet here is telling you something about who Christ is. You shall call his name Emmanuel, which means translated, which translated means God with us. Notice here that this prophecy spoken by Isaiah originally to Ahaz and to the audience to whom Isaiah was writing in his day, King Ahaz was not to trust in the Assyrians. What is trusting God? Now Ahaz, being overly pious, when God said, ask for a sign and I'll prove to you that I can do this, Ahaz said, oh no, I will not ask a sign. Because he said, oh, I do not want to tempt you. Even though God said, ask for the sign. And so Isaiah, God speaking through Isaiah, declares this verse to Ahaz. Now, this verse maybe had some anticipatory fulfillment in the days of Ahaz. But here's the point, that God would often speak to events in the days of the prophets, yet with a significance that was still far in the future. And so, as Isaiah speaks using the Hebrew word, which can mean young woman, Matthew takes this verse under the inspiration of the Spirit, and shows its consummation and its fulfillment in Jesus Christ as one who is born not just of a young woman, but truly of a virgin. You shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. That tells us something about the nature and being of Christ, that Jesus Christ is not only a true human being, born of Mary, looked like Mary, but also that he is fully God. He is the incarnation of God in human flesh. That to see Jesus Christ was to see the living God. And to hear the words of Christ was to hear the words of God. And so we see in this section here, the virgin birth not only encountered, but proclaimed to Joseph. And it is proclaimed to us today. It, this is what we are proclaiming here to the world today. This is what those outside the church need to hear, maybe for the first time. And it is what those of us inside the church need to be reminded of. That God has not left us alone in our sins and misery, but he has sent the Lord Jesus Christ, one who is God, into this world as a man in order to save us from our sins. And as Joseph is commanded to believe these astounding words, that is what is commanded of us today as well. And that is why it's called the virgin birth believed. That's my third point. 
verse 24 and 25, Joseph encounters the virgin birth. He hears the virgin birth proclaimed to him, but he responds to that encounter and to that proclamation by faith. He believes in the message. He does not reject the message. He does not respond by saying, it is irrational, O angel of the Lord. Uh, What you are saying is nonsense, O Gabriel or Michael or whoever, whatever the angel was. We don't know who the angel was. No, what does Joseph do? He responds in genuine, humble faith to the word of God. This is the word given to Joseph via an angel, and it really, boys and girls, is no different than the word that is given to you in your Bibles. Just as Joseph was commanded to believe the message that was given to him by the angel, you and I are commanded to believe what is written in this text. We are to respond with faith to the revelation of the incarnation and the virgin birth as Joseph was. Now, in Joseph's case, that faith in the word of God meant to take Mary as his wife and to keep her as a virgin until she gave birth, until after Jesus came into this world. You and I, as Christians, respond in faith as well to this same message that was originally delivered to Joseph. Now, the angel is not going to appear to us. He's not going to visit you and confirm this to you by your bedside. But it is still the word of God to you and me. The revelation that was originally given to Joseph is passed on to you through the record of Matthew here in his gospel. And you and I are to respond to that message with, Yes, Lord, your servant heareth. We believe what you have written. As Jesus himself would later say, Thy word is truth and cannot be broken. Lord, let it be done unto your servant as you have said. Those who reject the miracle of the virgin birth and the conception of Christ as the eternal Son of God coming in the flesh are rejecting many things. There are many who believe that they can be a good Christian and deny these fundamental truths But to reject the virgin birth is to reject, essentially, the deity of Christ. To reject the virgin birth often is not to do so out of intellectual honesty, but it is to do so out of enmity toward God. The Bible says that often the real reason people reject the virgin birth is not because they have to do so intellectually. They have to do so morally. Because they are in opposition to God. They are in revolt against God. They resist God, and therefore they resist the Spirit of God and the revelation of God. As Charles Spurgeon noted in the 19th century, the real opposition to Scripture, and thus to the virgin birth, comes from the unregenerate mind of men. Listen to what Spurgeon said. 
He said, the only real argument against the Bible is an, un, is an unholy life. When a man argues against the word of God, follow him home and see if you can discover the reason for his enmity towards the word of God. It lies in some form of sin, unquote. Spurgeon said here, essentially, the reason people oppose the virgin birth is because there is something within them. There is a resistance that they were born with that can only be broken by the Spirit of God. The Bible says that by nature we are not just in a deep well, as my former illustration said, but we are already dead at the bottom of that well. There is nothing within you or me that even wants to get out of that well on our own. The only way that we can be rescued from this poor condition that we find ourselves in is through the work of God alone. God is the one who must break into this world in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one that must come down to the bottom of your grave and bring new life by his spirit into you, by which only then you begin to look up from that well to Jesus Christ and from which God rescues you out of that condition of death and darkness. It was necessary that Christ be born of a virgin for this mission to be accomplished. If Christ is not born of the Virgin Mary, then Christ cannot reach down into the depths of death and bring new life, for he is dead himself in sins and trespasses. The Bible says that all of us who are born into the natural Adam are in the condition of that natural Adam. God had said to Adam, eat of this tree and you shall surely die. And all of us have been dying ever since. Even babies sometimes die because they are united to Adam. It is only Jesus Christ who came into this world that could save us from death. And here's the amazing part, that Jesus Christ, being God and yet truly man, was willing to die for you and me. This was not a mission that Jesus took reluctantly, boys and girls. The incarnation of Jesus was not done so out of some kind of reluctance within the second person of the Trinity. The second person of the Trinity, along with the first, along with the Father, and along with the Holy Spirit, willingly wanted to do this for the sake of your salvation. Remember how the Apostle Paul says how deep, how wide, what is the breadth, the width, height of God's love? When you think about Christ coming as a man, you get a sense of what it is for the transcendent, eternal, infinite God to clothe himself with finiteness. You begin to apprehend something of that same dimension of God's love for you. That the infinite clothes himself with finiteness so that we could come into union with the infinite, eternal God. That we could be brought into a saving relationship and be delivered out of this world of sin and misery and death. There are no answers 
Our culture is looking for answers in economics, in education, in technology, in all kinds of ways. But there is no fundamental answer to the human condition other than the one that God provides in Jesus Christ in the Incarnation. The reason that that answer, though so simple and yet so profound, is rejected is because of our own moral and spiritual condition. It is only by the Spirit of God, when the Spirit of God moves upon a mind that is by nature dark and futile, and moves upon a heart that is as hard as a rock and makes it soft, only then can they, like Joseph, receive this word from God and believe it. That is, you could say in this sense, it's as much of a miracle to believe in the virgin birth as it is in the virgin birth itself. Because if you believe in the virgin birth, the Spirit of God has done a work in your life. He has changed you from the inside that you might believe this message. Jesus told the Pharisees in his day, We'll close with this. He that is of God heareth the word of God. Let us, this Christmas season, hear the word of God in the words of God and believe on them.